This is a Seven West Media podcast. Hi, welcome to News Fix from Seven News. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for joining me. The tensions in trade relations between the US and China was first a problem for politicians and then large businesses. But when President Trump ordered that tariffs on Chinese imports be raised from 10% to 25%, the war of words and numbers became a problem for the general public. Especially now that China has retaliated and markets have plunged around the world. As the two superpowers fight over economic, security and trade policy settings, who will be the losers and who will be the winners of a trade war? And how will it impact Australia? I asked Tim Murray, a long-time China researcher and observer, and Tracy Colgan, a director of Ostcham Beijing and an influential China business advisor. The U.S.-China trade war intensified today as the Trump administration increased tariffs on imported goods from China. China has been taking advantage of the United States for many, many years. I'm not just talking about during the Obama administration. Uh, you can go back long before that. And it's been taking out 400, 500, 600 billion dollars a year out of the United States. And I'll just make sure that I'm in mm-hmm. airplane mode so that I don't get interrupted by telephone Great. calls coming in. Okay. Now I am ready to go. Working well. How badly timed is the trade war with America? It is um, terrible. It's terrible for China. It's terrible for the United States. It's terrible for the global economy, and it's not good for us. Tim Murray went to China in 1989 as a student, then lived and worked there for 20 years, including a time when he marketed Foster's beer made in China to Mongolia. He now provides primary research on the Chinese economy and Chinese companies listed in the US to asset managers globally. He is also the ALP federal candidate for the New South Wales seat of Wentworth. There are estimates that um, this will take 1% off the growth of China and that will have a direct impact on Australia's exports of commodities in both volume and price. The United States is in a stronger position uh, than China to sustain a trade war. Their economy is stronger, their unemployment is low, it's about 3.6%. And despite the um, fall in uh, Wall Street last night of 2.4%, It's still up 12% on the year. Today, the moment the market's been dreading. China's clapback at the US as it slaps... 
um, America is less reliant on uh, trading. They trade about 26% of their GDP, whereas China trades about 40% of their GDP. They're weak, and so they're much more exposed to this trade war, and it will have a very negative impact on China and therefore on Australia. So, Tim, if we look at the big picture, how did China get to this point where it's one of the main economic powers in the world? Where did it all begin? It began um, with industrial investment in machinery and factories. Um, It later moved on to a housing boom and an infrastructure boom. Now we find ourselves where they've built just about anything you could build and they've got too much. So there's overcapacity in industry, there's excess housing, um, and there's more than enough bridges, roads and airports. And that really has the country in a dilemma. Their political system is structured to deliver a strong centrally planned economy, and now they need to change. They need to change to move to be a consumer-based economy. Um, and to be a service-based economy, and their political structure doesn't match that. And we're now seeing this economy at the limits of its growth. And how has Australia tied into that economy in the past couple of decades? It has been wonderful for us. We have seen our um, uninterrupted growth for nearly 30 years is a direct function of China's fixed asset-led growth. Um, That is via our exports of steel and coal to China which is turned into steel and fuels the building of factories, roads, houses and bridges. I do think that China is is produ- is presenting the world with a with a challenge in terms of how do we want to move forward and how we can negotiate that. Tracy Colgan went to China in the 1980s to study on a Qantas bursary and followed that with a scholarship at Wuhan University. She has now lived and worked in China for 30 years, advising foreign and local companies on doing business in each other's territories. Tracy is also a board director of Ostcham Beijing and a director of Advanced Global Australians. Obviously, in Australia, we hear a lot about President Trump. But can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping? You know, who is he? What's his vision for China? And I suppose, how does he relate to Australia? Xi Jinping um, was the, the son of a very famous Communist Party official. And so he grew up in the Cultural Revolution in China. So he's been formed by those sorts of experiences. Um, he spent some time in the US um, as a student uh, so he's had exposure to the West, but on return, I mean, he's a very efficient politician. He really is has a vision for China, and you may have heard of, of him talking about um, the Great China Fuxing, uh, resurrection. So it's essentially the rebirth of the Great China, and he's really harking back to that expectation that China should play a leading role in the world and that China is a great nation, which it is. A lot of commentators uh, equaled that to something along the lines of the great American dream. Um, It's more than just um, owning a house and owning a car. It's really talking about China's perceived decline over the past 200 years and its role in the world, Uh, whereas in the Tang Dynasty, China was the greatest culture in the world, the greatest economy in the world. And so you've seen now Uh, China being far more assertive, South China Sea wanting to have a role on world diplomatic platforms, being far more assertive of their, what they perceive as internal issues and their sovereignty, and far more aggressive internally in terms of uh, control and um, ensuring that 
that the country's able to maintain some stability as it moves through this change in their economic model, which is causing some difficulties. So ironically, he's kind of trying to make China great again. Yes, he is. Yes, you could say it like that. It's a th- it's a thing, isn't it, in the world? Yeah, absolutely. That really taps into the wishes of the Chinese people. For many Chinese people, they're very proud of the way China's developed since it entered the WTO, and that was really the the point where you see that inflection up and and very strong growth, very fast growth. People of China are becoming more assertive in terms of having expectations around um, environment and and lifestyle and um, you know education and those sorts of things. And the government does try to respond to that. There's a great deal of pride that China's taking a role in the world. Enormous pride that China's uh, economy has grown to the point where it's just about to peak the US's. Um, and there's a strong belief that that's uh, China's rightful place. There are the great world tensions between the United States and China. And my view has always been is you don't have to pick sides in that. You don't have to walk away from the relationships that you have, that you stand by your friends and you stand by your customers as well. China is an incredibly important country for Australia's future. Our relationship with China is, of course, different to our relationship with the United States. The United States, as I've said on many occasions, is our longest uh, standing ally and we have shared values. But I did notice that Mr Morrison characterised China as a customer. You know, I think we need a bit more sophistication from the people who want to be Prime Minister than simply telling one of the largest countries on earth we just see you as customers. There's no doubt that trade's important. But I actually think we need to grow up in the 21st century and stop having a simplistic view of the rise of Asia. Australia has to to look at the situation based on its own best interests. Despite a lot of the debate um, that we've had in Australia over the last two or three years, China is one of our major trading partners. There's an enormous amount of potential that hasn't even been tapped in that relationship. So we need to manage that situation so that we can maintain a positive relationship with China in a business sense. And and to do that, you need a, a good political engagement as well. In that context, you know, what are Australia's best interests? Because obviously we need to keep China on side, like you just said, but we need to keep the US on side as well. I viewed it very close over the last 30 years. I'd expect that China will continue growing. It's a very dynamic marketplace and a very practical people. Um, And I think that we need to find ways where we ensure that we have strong relationships there uh, while we maintain a relationship with the US. There's a lot of question marks about how we do that. I think everybody's, uh, as the Chinese say, uh, feeling the rocks across the river uh, with the regime there and how they're behaving with allies. Um, But I really think we just have to manage it very carefully. It's a tightrope. It seems the wine industry may be typical of our place between the US and China. Exports to the US are down, but to China, they're up nearly 1,000% over the past decade. So what does that tell us about where we sit with these two economies looking into the future? Um, Australia's wine has been really well received in China. Um, It's commonly available right throughout the country. I've been to very remote regions and been offered a bottle of Jacob's Creek when I sat down at a Chinese restaurant. Um, So um, I think consumers have accepted it um, and it's a growing category um, in China. 
One of the problems for Chinese for Australian exporters to China is that um, shareholders get very excited by the enormous growth and expect to see it every quarter or half uh, year report coming out with um, uh, unending growth. But China's not like that. Um, you have other competitors. It's the most uh, competitive market in the world. Um, it's hard to get your distribution channels um, and markets go up and down. One of the sort of uh, lesser known elements of this fixed asset investment led growth is that often you have a lot of um, asset bubbles. So my house may go up by 50% in value in one year because of a huge stimulus program that's in place, a monetary stimulus. That makes me as a consumer uh, quite confident or as an investor, I exit that investment and, and take the gain. And so I've got a lot of excess uh, cash to spend and therefore I'll be buying a new car, having an expensive meal uh, where I'll drink wine. When that stops, so does the consumption. How does the government evolve then, I suppose, as their economy changes? How does the government change with it or does it just stay the same? Well, that's a big question. Um, the Chinese government has shown its ability to adapt uh, quickly um, throughout the reform period and uh, the majority of Chinese people have seen a vastly improving life as a result. Um, I'm not sure if we're in one of those periods now or if this could be a poor period um, but I'd like to think that the uh, creativity um, and um, goodwill of the Chinese government will win out and we'll see this period pass and uh, move into a more flexible uh, form of government. Myself being in my late 20s, I've always kind of taken globalisation for granted. But this interesting sort of development with protectionism and trade wars, do you think this could topple the global world economic order as it's been for the last few decades? Or do you think this is sort of a blimp in the road and we'll move on and continue to grow? I think there's going to be a change um, in the way that we work uh, go ongoing, and that's because of the rise of a country like China, which has a, a different value system, but, yeah, it's a different political system, and they view issues differently to the, the Western bloc, um, and also a couple, you know, Russia and others who would be supporting this. Um, I think that that's going to force changes. So it's when you see governments talking about reinforcing the need for a, a rules-based uh, global order. That's in response to the fears that this could develop into something that's uh, that's no longer rules-based. Countries like Australia, middle-sized countries, uh, in that sort of environment would find it much more difficult to have any influence on the world's change or in influence outcomes. Should we be scared or excited? Um, I think that Australia needs to be very strategic as this goes back to the partnerships that we were talking about earlier. It's one of the reasons why we really should be doing everything we can to have a strong relationship and open communication with China, whether that be business to business or um, you know, people to people or government to government, um, so that we can go and manage things as they happen. I think it's not a case of being scared, but I think it's, it is a case of being, going into it with our eyes open and being strategic about how we engage in the world as we move into these sorts of changes. I feel like I should start learning Mandarin. <laughs> Every, everybody should learn Mandarin. Yeah. I think it should be obligatory. Well, one thing you find that for Chinese, they have a much better understanding of our society than we do of theirs. And that's something that I think is a real problem in Australia.
I think yeah, they're wow. going, going into the next stage. We, we should be educating our kids in a way that's useful and meaningful, not superficial. Chinese children are ta- taught English. It's um, compulsory. It's compulsory at university. That's I think would be important for us if Australia wants to be part of the discussion and to be able to control the conversation or have some input into the, how the, the dynamics of the conversation. I think that in order to do that, then you have to have understanding of your, your, your counterpart and, and I think the language is an important part of that. Yeah, definitely. So it's not just political um, sort of now, so we need it's cultural, societal, educational. Yes. Yeah, quite holistic. Beyond our Chinese Australians, who are a wonderful resource, it should that um, knowledge should be in the hands of non-Chinese Australians as well, because I, you know, they're really the potential for the relationship to grow is still there. I think there's far more than, um, you know, selling iron ore. Of course, the G20 uh, happens in Japan next month, and I think Trump has said he'll meet with Xi Jinping. Do you think that could come up with a solution there? Or? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, one-on-one meetings um, uh, work well. Uh, Xi Jinping and uh, Trump have had uh, successful one-on-one meetings. Um, I think one of the unusual elements of this round of uh, trade conflict between China and the US is that um, China is wrong-footed because Trump is so unpredictable. They're used to being able to game the United States by predicting what actions they'll take and uh, gaming them around that. Well, right now, uh, a friend of mine uh, visited Washington recently and met at least four people who said they thought they were in charge of uh, the China trade talks. It's, It's a mess. And I don't think Trump has even worked out what he wants and and how he's going to negotiate. And so it's making it very hard for the Chinese. I think a face-to-face meeting um, uh, would be a much better way to get a resolution. How risky is this? If, If the meeting isn't successful, how risky is this for the global economy? I think it could um, be a significant um, force to push the global economy into recession. So this is not some minor issue. This is the major issue for the global economy at this time. And how will that affect the lives of everyday Australians? The... um, We will export uh, less commodities uh, to uh, China. We'll have less students studying here. We'll have less tourists coming here which will means we will have significantly lower growth um, and that will uh, put our budget into deficit. It will mean we'll have to borrow more. It'll mean our unemployment rate will go up. The, all of those things are disastrous for Australia. That sounds terrifying. It certainly does. Um, you know, and I think um, we've had a very long extended period of growth in Australia and a period of recession is not something we've experienced in a long time. And I think that's something that we need to be ready for here. Looking at the recent events, you know, Trump's most recent raising of tariffs and then him saying to China, don't retaliate. I mean, to such a proud and growing nation, isn't that kind of a red rag to a bull? Is it really such a surprise they've retaliated no, today? No, no, and it's not, it's not a surprise when you we learned a couple of days ago the Chinese revealed part of their response as part of the negotiation. That wasn't a surprise either. A lot of that has roots in the World War One, World War Two era, around the uh, Treaty of Versailles, when um, parts of China were ceded off, there was settlements in Shanghai, in Tianjin, uh, Shandong, Beijing, uh, which were occupied by foreign troops. That whole period was a period where people now look back with a great deal of indignation that China was treated in that way. So I wasn't surprised at all. You wouldn't want to underestimate them and their 
um, ability to negotiate, um, and they're also historically, you know, fearless. There's uh, certain lines in the sand that they won't cross, and so you know that makes it quite dangerous when you're uh, negotiating using brinksmanship as part of that negotiation. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for your time. That has been absolutely fascinating and it's something that we'll definitely keep an eye on going forward. Great. Well, thank you very much. All right, Tim. Well, I think that's everything. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure chatting. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. That is your news fix for this week. Every week, we'll dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines. News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the director of News and Public Affairs is Craig McPherson. I'm Cyan Doherty. Thanks for listening. <laughs>